0: okay let's pray father in heaven thank you Thank you for this day, and thank you for what it means as we gather together in your name, and thank you for what it means that we are so close to the celebration of your birth, and and, uh, we are so excited about all those things. We're asking Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill the room. Fill each of the listeners with your presence and your power. Enable our ears to hear and to see those things which only, yeah, we can only see and hear because you enable us. Bless powerfully our time together. And your word, in Jesus' name we declare it. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, a Christmas quiz first, okay? Are you ready? Christmas quiz. How come Santa Claus has three gardens? So he can go ho, ho, ho. <laughs> what is the wettest animal on earth? Some of you will know this. Reindeer. Why could not the wise men water their camels on the way to Bethlehem? It was the season of Noel. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this Sunday school teacher, she was, uh, yeah, helping her kids, her students be creative. And uh, so she asked them, I- I'd like each of you to draw the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, but I want you to draw it in an unusual place. You know, be creative. Don't use the stable. Use something else. And and one one of the kids drew a, you know, Jesus' birth in a modern fancy hotel. And uh, another student drew Jesus' uh, birth in a modern factory. But Tommy, the most creative of all, he drew the holy story, the holy family, in an airliner, a modern airplane. And uh, he drew each of the Characters in the windows, and you had the, you know, the, the sheep and the shepherds and the Holy Family and the manger and Jesus and the wise men, and it was all there. <laughs> and the teacher looked at it over, and she said, "Tom, he said that's so creative. Oh my, good job." But I'm wondering, who is this up in front of the airplane? Who's that? And he said, "Well, that's Pontius the pilot." Oh, come on. <laughs> Have you ever thought of why Christmas is such a joy filled event? Why does Christmas sparkle in such an array? This morning, I'll come with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I want to read a section. And there were shepherds living. Out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you he is the Messiah the Lord the birth of Jesus you know, the shepherds are out of the fields, and suddenly there's this bright light, and they're terrified, as any of us would be, as we all would be, and, uh, you know, they what do they do? You know, and suddenly the angel speaks, and says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people, and I like to add the term everywhere to it. Great joy to all people everywhere. Today, born to you a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. You know, we, we have the name in, you know, throughout the Scripture, Jesus is called Jesus Christ. But Christ is not his last name. That's his title. The word Christ, Christos in Greek, translated from the Hebrew, means anointed one the Messiah, the Anointed One, the long-awaited greater Son of David, the much-prophesied future King of Israel has arrived. The hope of Israel and all the world has been born. Exactly where the prophet said he would be born, in the town of the city of David, the city of Bethlehem. He who is about to change all of history has arrived. And that, my friends, if you know it or not, I mean, that is news worth getting happy about. The hinge of history is here. The one who is about to change your destiny and your life forever has been born. The one who can connect us in a personal relationship to our creator, the eternal God of the universe He's here. Are you getting why Christmas represents such great joy? You know, I want to take us over to a prophecy. We'll put it on the board for you. But Isaiah, we often use at Christmas time. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness and increase Uh, The word greatness is really the word increase. And the increase of his government in peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding us with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will will accomplish this. Whoa. When does it start? It says from that time forward. From that time forward. Oh my, what time is that? Well, look back at verse 6. When a child is born, when a child is born, this whole thing gets kicked into motion. Um, it has been set in motion. Of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. No end. Now, government, if we think about it, you know, government is not that, true government is not that which controls us from the outside. Uh, True government is what controls us from the inside. My son, Pastor Jamie, uh, our pastor here at the House Church, uh, growing up, he was a strong-willed child. (laughs) You might have guessed that. Actually, I invite you to look in a dictionary, and I did. I looked, and there was his picture right there. (laughs) Strong-willed child. I I remember an event took place, and we were someplace. I don't remember where we were at exactly, but I remember the event because he was standing up, and his mother said, Sit down, Jamie, and he wouldn't obey her. He just kept standing defiantly, and I reached over with my arm, and (laughs) I just kind of pressed him into his seat. And under his breath he said I may be sitting down on the outside but inside I'm standing on my feet. <laughs> <sighs> oh. When does Jesus rule start? Well, it starts when the king is born. When the child is born. Some people think when, you know, Jesus returns he'll set up his kingdom. That's not true. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Sometimes we refer to it as the gospel of the kingdom. In Christianity, that's the gospel we're to preach. We're to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Because the king has been born, he's come into the world. <laughs> and, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there is no end. He's put it into motion and it will continue in motion till he fully returns. And that's underway right now. <laughs> and you and I, we're part of it. We're part of it. It's already in motion. The, some translations use the, t, the, the term, instead of at hand, it's the, they say the kingdom of God has come near or the kingdom of God uh, draw nigh. There, there's several ways to translate it, but, but at hand, it, it, it's a metaphor from the first century, and it means here. <laughs> it means it's here right now. This Bible, it's in my hand. It's here. There's other Bibles in the room. They're not in my hand, but this one is. It's at hand. It, it means Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has come. It has come. I, the kingdom here, and I'm bringing the gospel, the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the true government of God is here. Its influence and its peace are spreading everywhere, and nothing is going to stop it. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus is changing the world. By changing people's hearts. By changing people's hearts. I want to show you uh, about the new birth and something that takes place. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 27. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will. Put my spirit in you and move you to follow my degrees and carefully to keep my laws. See, the new law that Jesus is bring, the new government He brings an interior government. He's gonna put it inside of us. He will will move our hearts so we want to obey. And He's gonna remove the heart of stone. A heart of stone, what's that? It's a, a heart that doesn't feel. It's a stoic heart. A heart that has no life to it. Heart of stone. I, I grew up in a, in a very strict Dutch home. Um, there was no emotion in the home. Not, you know, only two emotions expressed were anger and fear. And I, I grew up hydroplaning over my emotions, hydroplaning over my feelings. And then I remember coming to Christ, and I I came to faith in Jesus, and I would go to worship, and I would start to tear up, and and then I would start to cry, and I'd I'd say, why why am I crying? And if the tears are flowing, why do I feel so happy? (laughs) And Jesus would whisper to me, let the tears flow. I'm giving you a new heart. See, we sometimes, oh, we, we sometimes get very proud about, you know, in the Western culture, I'm a thinker. <laughs> I'm logical. You know, that's not true. You're not logical. You're biological. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you were made to feel. Uh, how many decisions that you, you know, how many decisions do you make if you don't feel good about it? You don't make it, folks. We're, we're not logical, we're biological. Our emotions matter, they're an important part of who we are. And, and and so many people, as they come to Jesus, he begins to restore their emotions. And he restored mine, and I'm so grateful for it because Jesus has empowered me to experience his love deep in my guts. He's empowered me to experience his joy deep in my heart. He's enabled me to come alive emotionally. I don't know if you got outside the last couple of days. We had to get outside to get here, so. <laughs> but, but I don't know that I've ever seen what I would call more beautiful snow than we've had. Kind of a fresh little layer, maybe an inch or so every morning on it, and it's all white, pure white you know, come let us freeze together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarred, they become, shall become white as snow. If you have a if you have a white car, you know, in the summertime it looks white, but when it snows and the snow falls on it, it now looks dirty. Even if it's clean. Because nothing is as white as snow. We can't duplicate it. We can't duplicate it. White as snow. A new heart. A NEW HEART. I I DON'T KNOW IF YOU KNOW THIS OR not, BUT JESUS IS BUILDING HIS CHURCH. HE IS BUILDING HIS CHURCH. THE CHURCH HAS BECOME THE LARGEST RELIGION ON EARTH AS WELL AS THE FASTEST-GROWING RELIGION ON EARTH. MORE THAN ONE-THIRD OF THE EIGHT BILLION PEOPLE ON EARTH NOW ARE PART OF THE CHURCH. MORE THAN ONE-THIRD. THE INCREASE, WE said, WHAT'S THAT? IT'S THE INCREASE OF HIS GOVERNMENT. NOT A POLITICAL GOVERNMENT, BUT AN INTERNAL GOVERNMENT. It's on the inside of us. It's because our hearts are changed. Jesus' government is increasing upon earth. It's an eternal government. It doesn't force people to obey from the outside. Jesus' government stirs us so that we want to obey obey from the inside. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit now in us is leading us to to live transformed lives filled with love and joy and peace. I mean, whoa. I hope you're getting this. Because it's at work in you right now. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. The analogy should be obvious to us. You know, when when alcohol is inside of us, that which is is inside of us, the alcohol now controls the behavior on the outside, right? If you ever get stopped for a DWI, the policeman will say, walk the line, and you go, "Ah, ah." you know, you can't do it. Because the alcohol inside of you is controlling the behavior on the outside, and Paul says, I got a better way. Let the Holy Spirit fill you on the inside so you obey on the outside. That's internal government. That is the increase of Jesus' government that has started on the day of Pentecost and has grown and grown and grown and now encompasses more than one third of the planet. Hallelujah. (laughs) Internal government. The increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. There'll be no end. Let me show you another. This this is one of my favorite scriptures. I've memorized it. I actually, never mind, that's too much of a story, but I I love this verse. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, patience, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. What's that mean? Well, you go out in the street, and you'll see a sign, 30 miles an hour. That's the law. Don't go over it. What the law does, it limits. You go on the freeway, and it says 70 miles an hour. I that? That's the law. Don't go faster. It's a limit. The law limits. The law sets parameters, but there are no parameters for the fruit of the Spirit because there's no end to amount that you can experience them. The Holy Spirit in you is producing love, love overflowing joy. Crazy joy, but why not? <laughs> Yeah, I can't dance. A, I can't dance a step. I really can My feet are oh, you know. But, but yeah, I come to the house and I dance. <laughs> can't help it. Can't help it. Joy of the spirit, peace. There's no end. The fruit of the spirit. There's no end to them. There's no limit to the amount you can experience if you will allow the spirit of God to take over your life. Wow. I, I want to read something to you this morning. I, I copied this out of, I read it in a book quite a while ago, and I, I keep kind of, you know, I look for what I, you know sermon illustrations, whatever. I, I look for you know great ideas. I see them, I copy them, I put them in my file boxes, and, and I saw this one as I was preparing this message, and I said, I'm going to bring it. It's entitled One Solitary Life. It's about Jesus. He was born in an obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He then became an itinerant preacher. He never held office. He never had a family. He never owned a house. He never went to college. He had no credentials but himself. And he was only 33 when the public turned against him, and friends ran away. And he was turned over to his enemies and went through a mockery of a trial, and he was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying on the cross, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had ever owned on planet Earth. He was laid in a borrowed grave. But 2,000 years have come and gone, and today, he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever set, all the kings that have ever reigned have not affected the life of man on this earth near as much as this one solitary lie. Do you know him? It's hard for a number of us older folks uh, to realize that it's been 23 years. Uh, SINCE THE NEW MILLENNIUM WE CALLED IT AT THE TIME Y2K K IS THE ROMAN NUMERAL DESIGNATION FOR A THOUSAND Y2K YEAR 2000 YEAR 2000 uh, COME AND went, OF COURSE <laughs> BUT well, ALL OF US WHO ARE ALIVE OR ADULTS AT THE TIME WE REMEMBER THERE'S A LOT OF hullabaloo AROUND THE WHOLE THING BUT IN CELEBRATION OF WHY uh, YOU KNOW OF THE NEW CENTURY The major magazines, magazines we used to, by the way, for all you younger people, we used to get magazine subscriptions. (laughs) They'd send send them to us every month, you know? And some of you don't even know what a magazine subscription is. But at the time, the major, the, the five largest magazine publications in the world, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, uh, Life magazine, Reader's Digest magazine, and U.S. News and World Report—the five largest magazines in the world—all of them asked their editorial boards to study and come up with who they thought should be designated Person of the Century. Person of the Century, and they looked at all the possible candidates. Uh, you know, the the people who had held office or had ruled the. Um, the scientists, the hey, humanitarians, the, the inventors. They looked at them all. And all five of the top magazines in the world, independently of each other, selected the same person as the man of the century, or as the man of the millennium, rather. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I have the January 2000 issue of each of those magazines. I've kept them, and on the cover, each one has a picture of Jesus Christ. I've already said the church is the largest religion in the world. It's also the fastest-growing religion in the world. On the earth, more than (coughs) one-third of the 8 billion people, actually, we just crossed over that barrier. November 15th of this, of 2022, the earth was populated by 8 billion people. It had been the shortest time we'd ever reached a billion. <clears throat> 7 billion was reached in 2011. Only, you know, 12 years forward, and we now are at 8 billion. But, The next billion is going to take us 15 years to reach, and the billion after that will require 21 years to to reach. We've just experienced the fastest fastest population growth we'll we'll experience on Earth. We just experienced it. Now, the reason for population explosion is not birth rate. It's not about people being born. It's about death rate. People are just not dying like they used to. (laughs) In, it, it, at the turn of the century, nineteen—actually, from the 18th to the 1900s—at the turn of the century, right in that period of time, uh, around globally, I believe that the life expectancy, if you put all the globe together, was 49 years. 49 years. Fast forward to today, life expectancy around the globe—if you're born as a human being on planet there's an expectancy that you will live to 73 years. If you live in America, there's a, you know, the life expectancy is uh, 76 in some decimal point years. And it won't be long before the rest of the world catches up where, where we're at in the United States. Praise God. We aren't as dying nearly as fast as we used to. I mean, hallelujah. But, but as the world grows, the question comes, I've studied. I, I've, I, as part of my education, I had to study. They made me study world religions. I'm not sure I'd have done it if it wasn't a required course. It was, and I had to. I've studied all the major religions in the world. You have to, in seminary, do that. And and I've looked at them all. And you know, there's a lot of st- people who like a lot say, well, all religions are basically the same. Blah 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 blah. You know, and uh, and the truth is that most of the world religions are pretty much. the same, I mean, they're kind of the same premise is out there on it. You know, be good. Try to live a better life, you know, and if there's something good at the end, you'll probably get it. (laughs) But Christianity is way different. Because you see, Christianity is the only religion in the world that answers the two fundamental problems of the human race. As a human being, you have two fundamental problems. We all do. We all share it in common. And the first problem is moral failure. Moral failure. I don't know if you know this or not, but we all sin. <laughs> we all do. We all, we all sin, and, and as we do so, that uh, sin accumulates over a lifetime, and it piles up, and we feel guilty, and we feel like failures, and we have regrets, and what do I do with all that? George Bernard Shaw, who was an author during World War II, and pretty famous author, best-selling author, he said this, every man over 40 is a scoundrel. <laughs> His point was that if left to ourselves, human beings don't get better and better, we get worse. Many, many want to scream out and say, what is the answer to my sin, my moral failure, my regrets, my guilt? What do I do with it? In the history of the world, only Jesus has come up with a solution to it. Only Jesus. I'll put it on the board. Second Peter chapter 2, we... Quoted in the communion. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus Christ on the cross, he took all of sin and all of its implications, sickness and everything. He took it all in his body on the tree and he paid for it there. Handled it. Handled it. Jesus Christ has the only answer to the dilemma of moral failure. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you've asked him to come into your life, into your heart. He's come in, and he has made you white as snow. White as snow. I'll show you something. Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul writes, and and he said, hey, you have been raised with Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you came to faith, you were raised with Christ, and you were seated with Christ on the right hand of God in the heavenly realm. And right now, God the Father looks over, and you're sitting there with Christ, and he sees you, and you're white as snow. (laughs) White as snow. Say this right now. I'm white as snow. I'm white as snow. Yeah, because you are. (laughs) Because you are. You say, "Well, wait wait a minute, if I'm white as snow, how come I still feel guilty? False guilt. Because it's been paid for. You're feeling guilty. Law of double jeopardy. You cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Jesus Christ was tried for the crime of my sin, and I can't be tried for it. And he's made me white as snow. White as snow. Jesus' death took all my sin. He handled the problem of moral failure. But there's a second problem we human beings face. There's a second problem. And it simply stated we all die. <laughs> it, that's a problem. We all will go through physical death. <laughs> no one's going to get off this planet alive. <laughs> One Easter morning, this pastor looked out of his congregation, and he made this statement, "Um, everybody in this congregation is going to die. A guy in the front row started to laugh. And the pastor kind of just thought, was offended by it, and so he said it even louder. I said, everybody in this congregation is going to die. And the guy laughed even louder, and finally the pastor addressed him and said, sir, why are you laughing? He said, I'm not from this congregation. I want to show you a truth from Scripture that many of us may not be aware of, okay? It's found in Ecclesiastes. It's chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. He has set eternity in the hearts of man. If you're older like I am, If you're older like I am, you said, how come life went by so fast? That's it. Wait a minute. You know, we go to the mirror in the morning, we look in the mirror and say, who's the old guy in the mirror? (laughs) You know why? Here's why. The body ages, but the soul does not age. I look in the mirror. I feel like I'm 25. Yeah, I do. That's how you feel. You, yeah, you feel like you're 25. Whoa, the body gets older, but the soul doesn't age. It was made to live forever. And so we, you know, we live out, and some of us pretend way too much that we're sick because we don't have to be. That's my opinion, but it's also the biblical Bible's opinion. And Moses was 120 when he died, and his eyes were still bright, and his body was still strong. He died healthy at 120. Because God said, Genesis 6, 3, my spirit will not always contend with man, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. I think the truth is that we're supposed to live to be 120. I got a lot longer to live yet, folks. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you know, here's the point. Part, part of the reason we die is we think we're gonna. That's, that's a big part of it. And we begin to behave like old people. I refuse to do so. <laughs> I go to the gym four, sometimes five times a week. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, if I go off on that channel, I may not get back. And I, I, I really got something I want to say to you, so, you know. Anyway. The soul... Lives for his creed, live forever. That's why you get, you get older and you don't. What's called what? I don't feel old. You don't feel old because you're not old. Inside, you're 25. You're still 25. Jesus is the only one who has ever answered the problem of human death. You see, when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you find this in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, and, and Nicodemus and Joseph, they went and, and they went to Pilate, and they got permission to take the body of Jesus off the cross, and so they go to the cross, and they take his body down, and they put it in a borrowed tomb, a new tomb, that had never had anybody laid there before. You know, it's, It was a beautiful garden, around a beautiful garden, and when we go to Israel, we'll visit that place. And on the last day, Pastor Jamie will lead us as a in a communion experience right at that place where Jesus died and rose again from the dead, (laughs) his Jesus' body was put into the tomb. You know, and then, let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, on the next day, verse 62, on the next day, the one after... Preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, We remember that when he was still alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made as secure, made secure until the third day. Otherwise, the disciples may come, steal the body, and let the people <laughs> and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard. Oh, I'm sorry, now I've got this for you. Verse 65. Take a guard, pilot answered. Go, make a, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Understand, that guard would have been led by a centurion who was a commander of a hundred men. And they went and they made the tomb secure and they posted the guard and they rolled a stone over the opening and then they took a candle and they dripped lit a candle, and they dripped wax. So it formed a bridge between the surface of the tomb and the rolling stone, and it created that bridge, a wax bridge, and that was the ceiling of the tomb. And every Roman soldier had sworn, if the seal on that tomb was broken, it would cost him his life. Do you think this tomb was secure? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was to human. Anyway, two things about Jesus that are way different from every other human being who ever lived. First of all, 2 Peter 2.22, he was sinless. He committed no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. He was totally sinless, the only man who was sinless. And the second thing different about Jesus, on the the day, on the third day, he walked out of the tomb alive. He just would not stay dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Over the centuries of history, over the centuries of history, many men have exercised unique control over life. Julius Caesar, Genghis Kong, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, even today's world, Putin from Russia is responsible for the death of tens of thousands of, of people. In the history of humankind, many men have exercised unique control over life, but in the history of mankind, only one has exercised unique control over death, Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And is he not the one who you should have controlling your life? Paul says that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of all those who are going to be resurrected. You know what first fruits mean? It's agricultural economy, Israel. First fruits. Every spring of the year they would go out and they would look, and when the when the first grain came out, or the fruits on the tree would begin to appear, and they would wait until they became more full and just begin to turn, and then they would take an offering. They would pull that first fruit off the off the fields and off the vines, and they would offer it as an offering to the Lord. Because the first fruits guaranteed a rich harvest. Jesus Christ is the first fruit raised from the dead, and his first, his resurrection is a guarantee that you and I will be resurrected with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's worth getting happy about, folks. <laughs> Let me put this on the board, uh, Philippians three twenty. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so it may be like his glorious body. You are going to get a new resurrected body just like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, my resurrection is the guarantee that that's going to happen for you. Over the years, I, I, I've looked at ways to, to, to attempt as a pastor to try to help people understand the, you know, the death experience, what it, is, what it is and what it is not. And um, when I was in seminary, I had a professor of the New Testament. His name was Bob Gulick. And uh, Bob Gulick, he was, it just so happened. I, I would, my experience before I came to, went to seminary, I was a little bit older than most students. And, and uh, so I, my first career was in, in building. Uh, and uh, carpentry, and especially cabinet work. Anyway, uh, Bob was looking for someone to build a house, you know, his house, and uh, anyway, he hired me to build his house, and so I got to do that, got to know him as a personal friend quite deeply, he and his wife and uh, their family, and uh, anyway, one day we sat down, and Bob said, hey, let me tell you my story, and um, he, had, his father had been a preacher, and, and Bob had, You know, followed the Lord powerfully, and and he's written a number of books. They're they're, they're still being used. They're powerful books on theology, especially New Testament theology. But Bob said, hey, let me tell you my story. He said, I was born. I had a congenital heart defect. I was born with a hole in my heart. Now, today, most of the time when that happens, it's not too unusual for a baby to have a hole in the heart. Usually, it seals up pretty quickly. And, you know, in those early early days of life, the hole seals up. But he said, my hole, it never sealed up. I still have it and so so he said they, they monitor my heart real carefully and so I ever once I'll have to go in for a uh, for a, a stress test and you know a full workup so they can just make sure everything's still okay and working okay and and he said I went in for my last one it was actually a couple months ago and he said I went in and you know, that was before the, you know, digital age. And so when they, when they did that kind of thing, they had to wire your whole body up and it had cords and everything connected to machinery or monitors. And, and so Bob was on the treadmill and he was pumping away and he started to jog and he got his heart beat up and, and, and the technician was watching all the screens and, you know, and, and suddenly the, the, it, the dial or the lines on the screen just went straight. And, and the guy thought, well, certainly there was a, something wrong, and he he began to fiddle, and then he looked up and he realized Bob was flat on the treadmill, boom, 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 boom. boom. And Bob said, when that happened, he said, I found myself in the corner of the room, and, and I was looking down, and there was my body on the treadmill, and there it was. And he said, suddenly I begin to be drawn out of the room into this light, and I'm into this light, and I'm I'm headed. It's kind of like a uh, quarter of light and I'm headed into this light and it's like liquid love and he said I never felt anything like it and he, and, and he said to the, I thought, okay I'm gonna meet Jesus shortly and he said the next thing I knew I I felt my back in the body and they were resuscitating me and I you know I'm here today so so they retest resuscitated me but he said doyle he said this one thing I assure you I'm not afraid of death because I know what it is and what it is not and I know for sure that Jesus waits for me, right in that light. I, I grew up on a farm in Iowa. I have two. I have two brothers. One is two years older, named Gary, and one is two years younger, named Craig. And I'm the middle child, and that explains a lot. But. <laughs> You know, and often I played down with my little brother. I played up with my older brother. But rarely did all three of us ever play the same. You know, we did, it was very rarely that we played as three. But one day we were out in the ditch by our road that ran, the ditch of the road that ran past our farm. And, and it was tall grass. And we were making forts. And we were having a lot of fun out there. And, and lo and behold, as we were doing that, we suddenly, you know, part of the grass. And there in the ditch, you know, there was a culvert that went under the road. And, you know, three boys, a culvert, what are you gonna do, you know? (laughs) So, my older brother, he got down and he looked into the, you know, and evidently, that culvert, you couldn't see the light on the other, you couldn't see the light on the other side, a round circle. It it was dark, just black, and, you know, it must have taken a jog in the middle of the road, under the road, and so, anyway, he got down and he looked into that darkness and his heart was struck with fear, and he said, Doyle! So I went over, and I thought, oh, all right, I'm brave. <laughs> and I got down, and I looked into the darkness, and my heart was struck with fear. And we both said, Craig! <laughs> and our younger brother never got to do anything first. <laughs> so he said, here's your chance, Craig. And, you know, eventually, he disappeared in the darkness, more afraid of the brothers in the ditch than the darkness <laughs> of the culvert. You know, and he disappeared, and then we waited. And we waited, and we waited. Did the culvert snake get him? How are we going to explain to mom that we lost our little brother? You know, and we were sitting there kind of contemplating what to do, and we didn't, you know, we didn't know what to do, and... and, and, You know, neither of us wanted to try to crawl in the culvert to find out what happened, and then suddenly we heard a voice from the other side of the road. And it was our little brother, and he was standing on the other side, and he's waving his arms, hey, you guys. Hey, it's okay. I've gone through the dark corridor, and I've come out on the other side, and I'm telling you, it's okay. And what I want to say to you today, isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us? He's gone through the dark corridor of death and he's come out on the other side and now he stands over there and waving and saying, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid. I've gone through the dark corridor of death and I've come out on the other side and it's okay. It's gonna be okay. What a Savior. <laughs> I, every once in a while in my quiet time, I just sit and Marvel, Jesus, I can't believe that all that you've done for me. I can't believe it. And yet I do believe it, and I receive it, and I want to give you glory, and my mouth shall praise you till the end of time for what you've done for me. Holy Spirit, blow across this room. It's a holy moment. Blow across this room, Holy Spirit. Do your office work in the hearts of your people right now. If you wouldn't mind bowing your head or, or not, you don't have to bow your head, just you know, but put your hands over your heart. And I don't I don't know. I don't know where you're at this morning as you come in here. Some of you I know quite personally and And some of you, I I don't know who you are, and you may be the first time you've ever been to the house church, but it doesn't matter. I mean, all that doesn't matter. What really matters is right now, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you don't fully know him as Lord, Savior, and King, if you haven't fully embraced him, if you haven't invited him into your life and into your heart, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. It was a day when I was 23, I'd gone to church all my life and I didn't know. And I remember the day I knelt beside my bed and I said, Jesus, I opened the door of my heart to you. I invite you to come into my heart. Oh, by the way, Jesus, if you happen to already be there, don't leave. (laughs) And that day, Jesus Christ came into my heart and forgave my sins and he made me a son of God and nothing has ever been the same since. I've become transformed. Oh, it's taken time, but the work has not stopped. It continues. And and if you're sitting here right now and you're not for sure, absolute sure that you've ever invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want you to do that right now, okay? I'm going to pray the prayer. invite you to just pray it softly or silently with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, pray it with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I open up the door of my heart to you, the door of my life. I invite you into my heart, into my life to me, my Lord, my Savior, my King. I receive from you, Jesus, right now the, the, the forgiveness of all my sins which you paid for on the cross. I receive it as a gift. And Jesus, I also receive as a gift your resurrection from the dead because your resurrection is what guarantees my resurrection. If you opened your heart right now and you prayed, Jesus Christ just came into your life, just came into your heart. (laughs) What a marvelous moment this is. If you happen to be here today and, and maybe... We call it backsliding. I don't know what we call it. We used to call it backsliding. But anyway, I don't know. You know, if you've come and you're sitting here and you feel like, okay, I need to reconnect. I really need to reconnect with Jesus. I really need to reconnect, refire my life. And if that's you, I just, yeah. Would you pray with me, dear Lord Jesus? I know you as my Lord, Savior, and King, but I've not been behaving the way I need to behave, and I've been taking, yeah, I've taken a detour, and I want to come off that detour right now, and I want to get back on the path of walking with you. And I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me, overflowing with your power, your love. Fill me, that I might know the joy of my salvation. I might know for sure the joy of my salvation. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Uh, yeah, I just want you to know there will be prayer ministers up front after the service. And if you've got any kind of need, we don't want you to go home without receiving prayer. If you accepted Jesus this morning, come up and tell somebody. Let them pray for you. It's just, you know, wow, wow, what a wonderful thing. And uh, yeah other than that I I don't do this near as well as Jamie does so uh, <laughs> but but he prays the blessing over us he prays the blessing every Sunday at the end of his message of, of numbers chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 and in that blessing what it says is when if if the sons of Levi if they will say this over the people of over my people were the people of God they will indeed be blessed So, I have privileges. It's one of my favorite things to do It's to bless God's people. But I'm not nearly as creative as Pastor Jamie is. So, (laughs) I just do it in the kind of straightforward, raw way. But it, it works like this, okay? Stand to your feet. Everybody up. Look up. Receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace. In your leisure and your labor, you're coming and you're going today and all the way through Christmas. I declare the blessing of the Lord on you. In Jesus' name, amen.